Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, as we've gathered together on this Christmas Sunday. And as you're turning there, um, I'm going to put up Isaiah 9-6 on the screen. And I'd like us all to say it together because this is going to be our opening verse. Okay, so you're turning to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. Can we say it together? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Man, this is Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born. And that's what we're celebrating this time of year. But why did he come? The next phrase shows us, doesn't it? Unto us a son is given. The child being born speaks of Christmas. The son being given speaks about God who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And notice it's unto us. He came for you. He came for me so that we can know God, so that we can be saved. And notice the name by which he's called. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God. Who is he? He's more than just a man, isn't he? And we're going to see that as we take a look at our passages today. But let's remember that Christmas is about God loving us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Matthew chapter one is one of the accounts of the birth of Christ. We're gonna begin from verse 18 and read through the rest of the chapter, okay? Matthew one, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He was instructed to call this child Jesus. And the reason why is because he's going to save his people. Jesus' name, it's English right here. It goes back into the Greek in which Matthew was written. That even goes back into the Hebrew. And the word Jesus is made up of two Hebrew names. One of them is the personal name of God. Most popularly translated Jehovah, 
maybe more accurately translated Yahweh. So it's made up of the Hebrew personal name for God and the Hebrew word for salvation. So Jesus' name means Jehovah, our Savior, or God, our Savior. And Matthew said, this is to fulfill what the prophet said. And of course, this is Isaiah the prophet, chapter 7, where he said, the virgin would be with child and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated... God with us. He has a lot of names, doesn't he? Okay, his name is Jesus, and, and it says who he is. He is the Lord, our Savior. But notice he's also God with us, and in our verse in Isaiah 9-6, he's called the mighty God. You know, um, scholars refer to this as the incarnation, and that's taken from the Latin word incarnatio, which literally means taking on flesh. And Eerdmans Bible Dictionary defines that like this. It's a theological term referring to the embodiment of God in Jesus of Nazareth. So that's what the incarnation is. It's God coming to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh as a human being. You know, the scripture is very clear on the deity of Jesus. And I want to start by taking a look at that in Philippians chapter 2, if you'd like to follow along with me. Turning over to your right to Philippians chapter 2. The context of chapter 2 is Paul writing to those in Philippi to prefer one another. Not to look out just simply for their own interests, but to look out for the interests of others as well. And then he sets Jesus out as the ultimate example of preferring other people. And in doing so, you get a glimpse of just how great he is and how he humbled himself for you and for me. Philippians chapter 2, beginning from verse 5, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so here in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus as the ultimate example of what it means to prefer others' needs above your own. In verse 5 again, he says, let this mind, let this same attitude be in you, which was also in Jesus. Notice verse 6, who being in the form of God, the word form speaks about his inmost nature. For all of us, we're humans by nature. For Jesus, he is the son of God. He is divine by nature. The New Living Translation, I'm sorry, the NIV translate, translates that, who being in very nature God. It goes on to say in verse 6, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, the word robbery can be taken two different ways, and both of them actually fit in our passage. The idea here is it's not robbery for him to be equal with God because that's who he is by nature. He is divine by nature. But some of the newer translations translate it as something to be grasped. 
He did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. And when we first think of that, we think, well, it sounds like he's thinking I can't attain to that, but that's not the meaning of it. It's his equality with God is something he did not have to clutch onto and hang onto at all costs, but he was willing to let that go. Why? To come to this earth. And that's what it says in verse seven. He made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That phrase, making himself of no reputation, is the Greek word kenosis, and scholars speak of this as the great kenosis passage. It literally means he emptied himself. And the question is, what did he empty himself of? You can't say he emptied himself of his deity because that's who he is by nature, right? I mean, that's who he is. So what did he empty himself of? Scholars believe he emptied himself of the outward expression of deity. Being in heaven, being in glory, being glorious himself, he laid that aside to come to this earth, to become a man, God becoming a man in the person of Jesus. Why did he become a man? Verse eight tells us, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. The reason Jesus died was to save us. It all comes back to the justice of God. We've all sinned. We all know that. The Bible tells us that as well. We all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're deserving of judgment. That's, that would be justice. If we wanted justice to be served, it would be us being judged. But Jesus came as a substitute. He came and he died where I should have died. He bore the judgment that, that we should bear. And when we put our faith in him and who he is and in what he's done, we can be forgiven by God. And that satisfies the justice of God. So that's the whole reason that he came. Humanity was the vehicle or the medium by which he came to this earth to serve us. And again, the example that Paul's getting is have the same kind of attitude. Look at Jesus as the ultimate example of having everything and laying that aside to come to this earth so that you and I could be saved. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When you think when Jesus came, where was he born? Good. Where was he born in Bethlehem? He, he was born in a stable and he was laid in a manger. Why not a palace? He's the king of kings, right? When he came to this earth, he came not to be served by others, but he came to serve us. And he did that by laying his life down. So Jesus clothes himself in humanity, if you will. I think on the Mount of Transfiguration, perhaps Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of what was behind that humanity because they saw Jesus, his face like the sun shining in its strength and his raiment becoming white as light. But he clothed himself in that to come to this earth and to lay his life down. John 13 gives us maybe a, a visible picture of what he has done for us. In John chapter 13, he's with his disciples. It's the final night he's with them in the upper room Judas will shortly betray him. He'll be delivered over to be crucified the next day. And on that night in the upper room, it says he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around himself and took a basin and went to the disciples and washed their feet. And when he was done washing their feet, he laid aside the bowl and he put back on his outer garment. And he said, I've set you an example. 
What I've done for you, you should do for one another. You should be there to serve one another. And that's kind of a picture of what he's done. He came from heaven. He laid aside the outward expression of his deity, taking off the outer robe and became a servant all the way to the point in including death and laid his life down. But it didn't stop there, did it? He rose victorious three days later, and then he ascended back into heaven. And so it's like taking off the outer garment, coming and serving, and then going back and putting the outer garment back on, if you will. And that's how John sees him in the book of Revelation. When John sees him in Revelation chapter one, it says his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And so this is what Jesus has done for you and me. He's come to rescue us. And, and the title that I had for this message was The Light in the Darkness. He came as the light because we're trapped here in the darkness. And he came to show us, to, to expose to us the love of God and how good God is towards you and me. If you'd like to, turn with me over to Luke chapter 2. This is after Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It's after the days of Mary's purification. And now they're going to go to the temple in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter two, beginning from verse 25, it says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. So he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Here, this old aged man of God, Simeon, takes up the young baby Jesus in his arms, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. The New Living translates that, a light to reveal God to the nations. And this is who Jesus is. This is what he did. He brought the illuminating truth of God's love, of salvation through his sacrifice upon the cross. We wanna know what, what God is like. Who do we look to? We look to Jesus because he came as the light, the one to reveal who God is. In John chapter one, verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse nine, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. We see God's standards through the law of Moses. We see God's love and redemption through Jesus. In John 1:17, it says, for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. His favor came through Jesus. 
Jesus, as he's on this earth, he is God revealed in a human body. It reminds me of John 14 when Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you, Philip, that, that you have not recognized me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see what God's like. We see God's love for the world. Over in Matthew's gospel, let's go ahead and turn over there right now, Matthew chapter four. The prophet Isaiah prophesied of this light that would come into the world, come in, coming in, dispelling the darkness. And Matthew attributes that prophecy to Jesus when he began his ministry in Galilee. Matthew chapter four, beginning from verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus left Nazareth and he came to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Jesus had grown up in Nazareth. Luke's gospel tells us why he left. It's because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. He was in the synagogue. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He opens up to Isaiah 61, I believe it is, and he begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I've been sent, I've been anointed so that the blind can recover their sight. What, what is blindness? It's being darkened, isn't it? It's not being able to see. I've come so that the blind can see. And of course he's speaking, I think, in a spiritual way, as well as a literal way, healing the blind, but bringing that illuminating truth of God's love to a lost world. Jesus closed the scroll and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's when they wanted to kill him because they knew only the Messiah could fulfill that. And in essence, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. So he came to Capernaum. He came to the regions, as it tells us here, of Zebulun and Naphtali, two of the ancient tribes of Israel, that area of the Galilee. And he's fulfilling here, our quotation is Isaiah chapter nine verses one and two. Remember, we opened with Isaiah nine, verse six, for unto us a child is born. Here in the beginning of the chapter, it speaks of him as a light coming into the darkness. And again, thinking of those who are in spiritual darkness, he came to bring that illuminating truth of, of who, who God is and God's love and, and God's ways so that we can be with God, be made right with God. He came, but not all came rushing to the light. Light dispels the darkness. If we were to turn off the lights in this room and if somehow we could get rid of the light coming through the windows. When I was a kid, my parents took me to Carlsbad Caverns and we went deep down into the cave and then the tour guide turned off the light and you could not see the shadow of your hand in front of the face. That, that's how dark it was. But when he turned the light on, the light dispelled the darkness and the greater the light, the greater it exposes what is lurking in the shadows. When Jesus came, who he is exposed the sin of man. 
it showed how desperately man needed God's forgiveness and God's love. Jesus' message, as we see here in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent means to turn. It doesn't mean to simply say, well, I'm sorry for what I did and I, I'll end up doing it again. What it means is to turn. It means to stop doing what you're doing and turn to God and begin doing what he wants you to do with your life. And that's what Jesus is calling the people to do, calling them to turn and to repent. Later on, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned the apostle Paul to go out and for himself to be a light in the darkness. In Acts chapter 26, as Paul is uh, stating this commissioning that he received from Jesus, Jesus said to him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and notice from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You get the idea now of the light and the darkness. The darkness is what the devil brings. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, the God of this age, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. To have your mind blind means to be deceived. And Satan is the great deceiver. Jesus has come to set us free to bring that illuminating truth that can turn the lights on. And he's commissioned the apostle Paul to go out and to do the same. But again, not all want to come rushing to the light. The light has come, but not everybody wants the light. You know, when we read in John chapter three, and this is the chapter, just a couple of verses after we get that golden scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In John chapter three, verse 19, it says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that, loving darkness more than I would love the light. He says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. That's the thing, the light comes into the world, but not everybody wants the light, why? Because they wanna remain in darkness. They wanna live their life the way they wanna do. And I know that's how I was for five years. The truth, the light was brought to me, but I basically closed my eyes to that and went the other direction because the light was exposing what was lurking in the shadows and I wanted to get away from it. Praise God, he's patient, amen, and waited. And I don't know where you stand today. Are, are you like the blind man who could say, all I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. You know, if you are, praise God. If you're not, come to Jesus. I mean, he offers such a better life than what we once had. Don't forget, Satan is the great deceiver. He's the one that makes you think, ah, no, this is, this is where it's all at. I remember, you know, when I was in my early 20s and my brother became a believer and I thought, you're crazy, you know? He just turned old enough to buy alcohol legally and he becomes a Christian, you know? And, and what is that though with me? That's deception, isn't it? That's me thinking that's a better life than the life Jesus can give. Jesus is the creator. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made you and he knows what's gonna fulfill you and make you happy. But the devil hates you. 
and he hates me, and he wants to do everything within his power to keep us from coming to the goodness of God. And that's before we became Christians, and it's also true once we become Christians. He wants to do everything he can to trip us up, to keep us from the life, the abundant life that God has for us. And so coming to the light is the key. You know, in speaking of Jesus, he's not just a light into the darkness, he's the light, isn't he? In John chapter eight, verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light. He who follows after him, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have that light coming to you as well. And you have life within you because of him. Jesus said here in John chapter eight that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 12, he said this, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become a little light bearer, a little light reflector. It's like Jesus, he is the light of the world. He's the one who came and showed us the way of salvation. But now he's called you as a believer to go forth and proclaim that truth as well, to be a light reflector in the dark world that we live in. Just like the apostle Paul was commissioned to go out and be a light to the nations. So he's done the same for all of his followers. In Matthew chapter five, he said to his disciples this, you are the light of the world. That's interesting, isn't it? Because in John chapter eight, he said of himself, I am the light of the world. Now he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Just like a city on a hill can be seen for miles around, just like a lamp is to be placed not under a basket, but on the lampstand so everybody in the house can see, so you as a believer in Jesus, live your life in such a way that people would see that and bring glory to God. Light your, let your light shine in such a way. That, that's the key there, because we can do our good works in a way where people will applaud us. We wanna do the good things we do so people will look to the Lord and be drawn to the Lord and know that, that joy, that peace that is in your life as well. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice it, it doesn't say you were once in darkness, does it? It says you were once darkness. Ephesians two tells us we were dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, bankrupt. That's who we used to be. But now you're light because you've come to the light. So live like it. That's the idea. Walk, order your manner of life as a child of the light. Amen? In the midst of this dark world that we live in, let's make sure we shine brightly for the Lord. There's so much to be grateful for at this time of year, especially when I think of God's indescribable gift, just how much he loved us. Never, never forget that, how treasured you are by the Lord. People around you will fail you. You know, we all have the capacity to do that. Every single one of us have the capacity to fail one another, but he will never fail you. He will always be there for you. Hang tightly to him. Let's close with this one right here, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your love that was expressed so passionately and powerfully at Calvary. And Lord, we do pray, oh God, that our hearts would be open to be led and directed by you. Lord, may your will be done, your perfect will be done within our lives. And Lord, we also pray for any here who are here with us today or who are watching afar, we just pray, Lord, if they have not come to know your truth, that they would open their hearts and let the light shine brightly inside. Lord, we love you so much. May you bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We've come, we've seen, it's time to go and tell. Shall we stand for this closing song?